This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. If I sat down and added up all the time that I spend dealing with tech issues, you know, problems with the phone and the computer and the streaming and why doesn't this password work and all of that kind of stuff. I I mean, I probably could have written three more books. It's just amazing. And of course, the most embarrassing thing is that, you know, you, you sit there and you're fiddling with your phone and you're trying to figure out how to make something work. And then, you know, you're Young kid comes over and says, hey, you just got to do this. You know, they all get it. It's their native language instinctively. So some of you may recall my saying that I upgraded my operating system on my iPhone. I didn't think it'd be that big a deal. I'm still dealing with the fallout. For example, out of the blue, for no reason or I'm hitting the wrong button or whatever, It starts recording screen video, which basically is just, you know, the home screen with a bunch of icons um, or whatever happens to be on your screen. And I don't want to record screen video. There's no point in recording screen video. Why is that a thing? Why does it even exist? I don't want it. And so, you know, you think, oh, I'm upgrading and the thing will work better and cooler. And meanwhile... You're not asked about the 47 different things that are going to make your life more difficult. Finally was able to stop it, or I don't know. We'll see how that works out. All of which brings me to this. I mean, here I am in Washington, a city where a lot of people think they're really powerful. Like they really are big shots. Like they wield influence and clout. But can they go into God mode? That, I think, is a whole different question. Looking here at a a piece by Bloomberg about a whistleblower complaint from Twitter. The complaint began shortly before Elon Musk took over the company. And by the way, he just had record earnings at Tesla, so that probably blew away a lot of people, given that everybody's writing stories about how much financial trouble is in. But coming back to uh, Twitter... Uh, The Washington Post had reported about this whistleblower, and now this complaint has been filed with Justice, FTC, members of Congress. Bloomberg News has got a hold of it, and it says that, according to this now former employee, as many as 4,000 company employees, I'm not sure Twitter has that many anymore, could access an internal function nicknamed God Mode, that allows them to take over private accounts and tweet or delete tweets from them, as if you were the Almighty. (laughs) Um, Twitter does not have the capability to log which, if any, engineers use or abuse God mode, says the complaint. Um, Requested anonymity, sensitivity, and so forth. See where that leads to. The other other tech story I want to screw around with here before we uh, get down to politics and media and some other stuff. You you wouldn't even think this had happened. It has gotten relatively little coverage except for the business press. And I know there's been ongoing battles about this. 
But the Biden Justice Department has sued Google on antitrust grounds and is trying to break up the company. Now, when I think back to past huge antitrust battles between the federal government and these major companies, I mean, this was, they were dominant stories. Of course, they dragged on for years. And so, you know, at a certain time, people just got sick of them. But whether it was the antitrust suit against Microsoft uh, or going back even further, big antitrust suit against IBM, I mean, this was a major, uh, these were major developments. And now it's sort of like, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, is Trump involved? And what does this have to do with anything? You know, because it's not rooted in politics, although, you know, would this antitrust suit have been brought in a Republican administration as opposed to a Democratic one? I think that's doubtful. So let's go to a couple of tech sites. The Verge, uh, it says the lawsuit calls for the company to divest Google Ad Manager, uh, including uh, DoubleClick, which was it's an ad serving firm taken over years and years ago, and other things. It's basically saying Google has too much power. It has monopoly power over digital advertising, online advertising. Google says the lawsuit ignores the enormous competition in the online advertising industry. Uh, the Verge says that this suit could really go somewhere because there are real harms here. The government is alleging that the fees spent on Google's ad exchanges allow it to keep 30 cents out of every dollar spent on the company. That's kind of like a tax. Another tech site, Gizmodo, talks about 1982, DOJ, finishing up a 13-year antitrust case against IBM. Justice lost, but so did IBM in this sense, says Gizmodo. The tech landscape changed. IBM was distracted had to move slowly under the increased scrutiny. Microsoft and Apple, who were then the cool kids on the block, swooped in and knocked IBM off its perch. Uh, same thing 20 years later with uh, Microsoft. And now it seems like it's Google's turn. Uh, meanwhile, Google management, again, this is according to Gizmodo, um, is calling AI's threat to search a code red situation. You've heard a lot about this from me and others. You know, the chatbot GPT and how it can write anything you want on any subject in somebody's voice. The founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, have been brought back. I mean, it's not like they went away, but they don't run the company day to day to try to figure out how to fight this. And this could do to Google what Google did to a lot of other search engines uh, when it first came on the scene back in the late 90s. All right, it just so happens that my lead story also is about tech, but so much more. Story number one, Meta, which is to say Facebook, is reinstating Donald Trump's account both on Facebook and on its Instagram platform. This will happen in the current coming weeks after a two-year suspension. Now, that's according to Nick Clegg. He's the company's uh, president for global affairs, former British politician. And it's a very big deal. At least I had the TV on. And it's just, you know, it was kind of... 
exasperating because suddenly there's a parade of people coming on MSNBC saying, this is terrible. Donald Trump shouldn't be allowed on Facebook. He's a danger to society. There'll be more violence. And then, of course, elsewhere, conservatives were saying, well, it's about time because it was always supposed to be a two-year ban and then comes up for, for review. So Axios had the scoop initially. Uh, and Fox, Brett Baer sat down with Nick Clegg and talked about this. And look, this was done, along with Twitter and others, right in the aftermath of the January 6th riot at the Capitol. And Axios points out that, you know, Trump relied heavily on Facebook, not so much to get his message out, which he was able to do, I think, more effectively on Twitter, but for ads and fundraising. Um, And so Clegg says... If he's to return to our services, um, we don't want, we just do not want for him to do what he did on January 6th, which is to use our services to delegitimize the 2024 election, much as he sought to discredit the 2020 election. This feels to me like a bow to people who uh, think this is a crazy idea, which probably includes a lot of left leaning people who work for Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, they've got to build. I guess Facebook has changed, so they've got to build a lot of stuff before Trump can do this, but it'll probably just be a matter of weeks. Trump will be subjected to a crisis policy protocol uh, if there's considered to be a risk of imminent harm. Clegg said, quote, if he now posts further violating content, that content will be removed, of course, and he could be suspended for between one month and two years depending on the severity of the violation. So I guess to put it in layman's terms, you would say he's back, but he's on probation and he better behave himself. Uh, Okay, we'll see how that works out. Um, You know, it still puts Facebook in the position of having to decide what content is acceptable and what content is not. But Facebook has been in that position for years, going back to the Russian disinformation of 2016. Now, you would think that The former president might be grateful, but no. Here's what he says on True Social. Facebook, which has lost billions of dollars in value since deplatforming your favorite president, me. Uh, Let me just interject here. Facebook has lost many billions of dollars, but it's not, well, let's just say it's not solely because of Trump. Uh, The number of people using Facebook regularly has plummeted. Um, Has just announced they're reinstating my account. Such a thing should never happen again to a sitting president or anyone else who is not deserving of such retribution. Thank you to Truth Social for doing such an incredible job. Your growth is outstanding and future unlimited. Now, keep in mind that Elon Musk has also reinstated Trump. Trump, to this point, has chosen not to take advantage of that. He's got to give Truth Social a six-hour exclusive window, and then he can repost everything on Twitter. So Donald Trump as a social media force, and look, he's the only declared candidate for president right now, before you start tearing your hair out and saying this is terrible and this is horrible, um, the alternative is these tech giants are going to essentially engage in censorship and say, you know what? The voters, the public, the world can't hear from a former president of the United States who's running for that office again. I don't think that's a great solution either. But now given that Trump has been posting all kinds of stuff on Truth Social, Could the wider exposure hurt him? Story number two, Charles Cook in National Review. 
Charles Cook, not a Donald Trump fan, let me repeat, not a Donald Trump fan, talking about his social media efforts. Uh, there was a point in time where Trump's unusual verbal affect and singular nose for underutilized wedge issues gave him a competitive edge. Now, now he's morphing into one of the three witches from Macbeth. To peruse Trump's account on True Social is to meet a cast of characters about whom nobody who lives beyond the Trump extended universe could possibly care one whit. Uh, he goes on to say that uh, Trump is busy mainlining Edward Lear day in, day out. He rambles about the adventures of Coco Chow and the old broken crow. That's Mitch McConnell and his wife. I'll come back to that later in the podcast. The dastardly unselect committee, stolen presidential election, uh, the Gestapo, Joe Scarborough's wife, Mike. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Um, And other characters. And goes on to say, uh, at times his penchant for self-elevation makes God's declaration in Genesis that it was good look positively bashful. Uh, He will declare to himself, Trump was right about everything. Or, truth social is so great. Um, His assessment of his presidency, I did a great job as president, maybe the best. And then, I ran twice, did much better the second time. Parentheses, rigged election. Meanwhile, piece in the New York Times by Jonathan Swan, who recently joined the great lady from uh, Axios, And Maggie Haberman says that Trump has started texting. Now, the reason it's sort of like, OMG, Trump is texting. The reason anyone might care about this is that because he didn't really use his phone to communicate, uh, he didn't text, he didn't email, um, this was frustrating to investigators who wanted to find out, you know, what was he doing on January 6th and, and all of that. And... I don't think it's a coincidence that Trump knew that by not leaving a digital trail, digital breadcrumbs, I guess you could say, uh, he protected himself against people, including those who might investigate him, knowing what was going on. Well, now, apparently, he's become a texter. This is the big New York Times scoop, according to three people with knowledge of his new habit. Um, And goes on to say that you know, the texts he's been sending have been pretty bland, like, you know, Happy New Year or making some political observations. But Donald Trump apparently coming into the 21st century with texting. Uh, is that ultimately going to help him or hurt him? We shall see. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Story number three. So President Biden's going to give a speech today. And he's going to go after House Republicans. And he's going to defend his economic record. So the Washington Post has a sort of pretty standard um, curtain raiser on this. You know, you talk to a couple of White House aides and you say, here's what the president's going to say. I think they kind of missed the main point, but I have another story behind this that will back that up. Um, Biden's going to, um, well, I mean, I guess the lead is going to be, he's going to talk about not negotiating with the House GOP majority over the debt ceiling. 
Now, I have spared you anything about the debt ceiling because I don't want to put you to sleep. Um, I know we have breached the debt ceiling. I know the Treasury Department is taking extraordinary measures to keep the U.S. from default. That has happened before, unfortunately. It's often this game of chicken. Um, and it's not till the early summer that we actually might go to the brink of default. So Biden's going to go to a union facility across the river in Springfield, Virginia. And he's going to say um, that lawmakers want to use this debt ceiling business as leverage and risk, you know, dire consequences for the U.S. of A. And let me just throw this in right now. So 52 times since the Carter administration, the debt ceiling has been raised. It's been raised under Democratic presidents. It's been raised under Republican presidents. It was raised three times uh, under Donald Trump without some huge fuss or series of demands by the Democrats who kind of believe in keeping the doors of government open. Now, contrary to popular demand, it's not like, okay, we're going to raise the debt ceiling and then we can spend this much more money. Raising the debt ceiling is in large measure to deal with past debts or where you're already paying interest on past debts. So the government has already spent the money. So it's kind of a cheap stunt to say, I believe we're spending too much and therefore I will not vote to raise the debt ceiling. And it's something that you do. And both sides have done this when the other party uh, is in power. Although, as I say, it was raised three times under President Trump. Okay, so Biden's going to highlight his legislative accomplishments, talk about the infrastructure law, climate change, lower health care costs. They just had a record sign up for Obamacare um, and is going to try to draw a contrast with what he will claim is an effort by the GOP to cut Social Security and Medicare. I mean, that debate has been going on since as long as I can remember. I mean, going back to Newt Gingrich's days and even before. Um, so he's calling on Republicans to raise the debt limit and stop screwing around. Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader, says for Biden to say we can't even have that conversation, that's irresponsible. Because you do get into, I mean, I do think there's a possible missed opportunity here. The president could have come in and said, you know what, we are spending too much. And I propose we cut the following 12 things. And then the Republicans would come back and say, no, we should cut the following 16 other things. And at least there's some sense that we're grappling with, I believe the figure is $31 trillion in U.S. debt. So here's a piece by Yahoo Finance that gets to, I think, what's really going to be the news here. And not just today, believe me. Um, it's the fair tax plan, which Kevin McCarthy does not support and is basically zero percent chance of becoming law. But the Democrats want to make the Republicans pay for having certain of its members even considering it. So Chuck Schumer says this so-called fair tax plan is the craziest yet. It's a real doozy. Just the biggest Lollapalooza I've ever seen around here. It's the way he talks, folks. Um, and it's the sponsor in the House, and there are 23 co-sponsors altogether, is Earl Buddy Carter, Republican from Georgia. And he says Washington Democrats are fear-mongering about this bill because it takes power away from the federal government, puts it in the hands of the American people. So what would it do? What would it do? What it would do is it would abolish the IRS and it would abolish the federal income tax. 
but in its place would be a national sales tax, a consumption tax. That rate would start at 23%, and a Brookings analysis says it could go as high as 30%. Now, this is on top of your existing state sales taxes or city sales taxes. In other words, you don't got to pay the federal income tax, but you got to pay somewhere between 23 and 30% every time you buy something. Now, usually it's like, you know, a loaf of bread is exempted or something, certain core things. But look at some of the anti-tax conservatives in the GOP. Grover Norquist, political gift to Biden and the Democrats. Wall Street Journal editorial page, masochism. Steve Forbes, who was a big flat tax, flat tax advocate when he ran for president. A belated but huge Christmas present for Democrats. Larry Kudlow, who's a top economic advisor under Trump. It's really a lousy idea. But nevertheless, you're going to hear a lot about it because that's what both parties do. They pick something that maybe is just a, a kind of a fringe position on the part of the other party. But you do have certain name brand lawmakers who are pushing this and they try to make the entire party defend it. And of course, you know, the Republicans will do the same thing to the Democrats and did during the whole Build Back Better fiasco, which ended up being, you know, not the $3 trillion that Biden wanted. All right, story number four. I said I was going to come back to Elaine Chao. And she was, by the way, Donald Trump's transportation secretary. She's a long history in Republican politics. She also served in the cabinet of George W. Bush. She immigrated to the U.S. when she was just a child from Taiwan. Uh, she went to Harvard Business School. First Asian American woman in a presidential cabinet when she was George W.'s labor secretary. And she's married to Mitch McConnell, so you had a real power couple back when Trump as president, had to work with McConnell. Well, now, Trump is constantly attacking McConnell and, by extension, his wife. And I guess a relevant bit of information here is that there was a real break after the January 6th riot. And Elaine Chow um, resigned right after that, saying that the riots deeply troubled me in a way that I cannot simply set aside. Obviously, that didn't please the president who appointed her. But the thing is, on True Social, and this is what I sort of alluded to earlier when I said, you know, I mean, this is getting a lot of play, a, a much wider audience, shall we say, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and who knows where else. Um, he refers to Mitch McConnell as old crow, and who cares, right? I mean, McConnell just doesn't really bother to respond to him. But he refers to his wife as Coco Chow. Now, Elaine Chow, if you don't know, is spelled C-H-A-O. Coco Chow is C-O-C-O-C-H-O-W. And I don't even understand it, but clearly it's a racial slur. There's just no other way to describe it. Now, in the past, when uh, the former secretary has been interviewed, she has asked reporters not to just repeat this. And she says she's not going to comment on it because she doesn't want to give it any oxygen. Well, that has changed because she has now issued a statement to Politico. And this is what Elaine Chow says. When I was young, some people deliberately misspelled or mispronounced my name. Asian Americans have worked hard to change that experience for the next generation. 
He, meaning Trump, doesn't seem to understand that, which says a whole lot more about him than it will ever say about Asian Americans. And so, you know, Trump likes to give people nicknames, whether it's, uh, you know, Sleepy Joe or Lion Ted or whatever. But this one is different. And I guess the fact that it hasn't been much of an issue is partly because uh, Elaine Chao was chosen to this point not to engage, partly because Trump doesn't get the attention for what he does on Truth Social the way he was, well, certainly when he was president, but also when he had a much wider audience. Remember, he had 88 million Twitter followers at the time uh, that he was booted off in the pre-Musk days. And so now here she's speaking out and saying, um, and Politico says she's bewildered by these attacks, and she's just saying enough. And I think, you know, this is one of those things that's sort of indefensible. You know, he can attack her as having done a bad job. He can attack her husband. Uh, you know, Trump seems to think that whenever Republicans and, and Democrats cooperate on anything, including an infrastructure law, which, by the way, Trump promised an infrastructure law so often that it became a running joke because there'd be some controversy or scandal that would erupt and like, there goes infrastructure week. You probably remember that. And so... It just hasn't gotten as much attention, and I think she is trying to draw a line in the sand. And that raises an interesting question. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story number five has to do with Newsmax. Now, Newsmax is a conservative television channel that tries to compete with Fox News. is obviously much smaller than Fox. But, you know, has hired some name brand commentators and hosts and makes news and is very favored by the previous president who we just got done talking about. DirecTV, which is owned by AT&T, and I think I briefly mentioned this yesterday, has just booted Newsmax off of its satellite service. And this follows what DirecTV did to OAN, One America Network News, um, which was booted also. Now, this is one of those situations where ostensibly it's a business dispute, but I have to be real here. I think if Newsmax and OAN were not as conservative as they are, I'm not sure this would have happened. So let me look first to the, uh, the details of it. So DirecTV says, look, the network kept demanding rate increases, even though its content is made available for free through a whole bunch of platforms. Well, that's good for Newsmax, but it's hard to tell your satellite provider that you should be paid more money if anybody can get it on the web or the various ways in which it's distributed. Um, here's a statement from DirecTV. On multiple occasions, we made it clear to Newsmax that we wanted to continue to offer the network, but ultimately, Newsmax's demands for rate increases 
would have led to significantly higher costs that we would have to pass on to our broad customer base. Anyone, including our customers, can watch the network for free via NewsmaxTV.com, YouTube, and on multiple streaming platforms like Amazon Fire, Roku, and Google Play. We continually evaluate the most relevant programming to provide our customers and expect to fill this available channel with new content. Okay, let's go to Chris Ruddy. He is the CEO of Newsmax. He responded to this by calling this a blatant act of political discrimination and censorship. He says the most extreme liberal channels, even with tiny ratings, get fees from AT&T's DirecTV. But Newsmax and OAN need to be deplatformed. So he's saying, come on, folks. This is not a typical business argument about the fees. Um, we don't know exactly what the fees were, how much Newsmax is asking. This is about they don't like uh, our content. They think we're too conservative, and therefore they want to limit our content. Now, it's true. I mean, I understand the argument on the side of DirecTV that if the average person can get this for free lots of places, why should Newsmax, why should the um, DirecTV have to pay increased fees to Newsmax that then have to be passed on to customers? Well, guess who didn't like this? Yeah, you guessed it. Okay, here's what Trump says. This disgusting move comes after deplatforming OAN last year. The radical left seems to have taken over the mind and soul of AT&T. This is a very this is a big blow to the Republican Party and to America itself for DirecTV to drop very popular Newsmax without explanation will not be accepted. I for one will be dropping all association with AT&T and DirecTV and I have plenty this is just one of many reasons why we must win in 2024. Three exclamation points. Okay, look, I don't blame Trump for being pissed off. When he says without explanation, that's not quite right. You can reject the explanation. And so, you know, I'm sure Newsmax will carry on through its various channels, the ways in which you can get it. OAN has not gone out of business. But there's simply no question, if you're not on direct TV and you're not in, you know, carried by a major league cable service, um, it greatly reduces your reach. Now, is this censorship? Is it political censorship? Is it just a coincidence that these two conservative channels are getting kicked off by DirecTV? I, I can't really argue that. Um, you know, AT&T probably is more happy uh, or was more happy when it owned it with the likes of CNN than with the likes of Newsmax. But anyway, um, it's a big issue for conservatives who may like that programming. Again, it's nothing close to the kind of numbers that Fox puts up, not only as the top-rated cable news channel, but as the top-rated cable channel when you compare it to everything, which is something that, as I said before, would have been unthinkable 10 years ago. But times have changed. And, um, you know, putting people in the seats is the name of the game. And that's why I decided to spend some time on this. So, to recap, Donald Trump will be back on Facebook. 
and possibly Twitter. Also, Donald Trump is getting beaten up by a lot of his critics. I have a column today, by the way, and I highly recommend this. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of crap on it from both sides. And the column says this, look, everyone in, in the media, political insider world, basically New York and D.C., maybe L.A., thinks Donald Trump is toast. There's no way that he could win back the White House. There's no way. It's mission impossible. I even put that in the headline. Or is it? So there's an assumption, there are a series of built-in assumptions here. One is many Democrats, media types, and folks on the left think Donald Trump's going to get indicted. Now, his odds of getting charged on the classified documents flap have gone down to, I think, you know, 0.0001, thanks to Joe Biden, thanks to Mike Pence. Could he be charged with matters relating to January 6th? He could. Will the Fulton County DA in Georgia bring an indictment against him? She could. But we've been through this for six years now, you know, and I'm not saying that these were witch hunts, but, you know, Russia... Uh, the, you know, wait till Michael Cohn flips, wait till Alan Weisselberg flips, the Trump Organization investigation, impeachment number one, impeachment number two, and Trump hasn't been charged with anything, criminally speaking. The second part is the primaries. Well, you know, people are sick of Trump, and they're really going to flock to Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis offers them, you know, Trumpism, many of Trump's policies, particularly the culture war stuff, without um, the personal baggage of Donald Trump himself and the stolen election and all of the grievances that he brings to bear. Well, that's great, except this Emerson poll, a pretty respected poll, uh, had Trump in the primaries at 55% and um, DeSantis, I think, at 29 So a really sizable double-digit lead. Now, once DeSantis is in, and leaving aside all the other candidates who are running, but who are way back in the pack for now. And yes, it's ridiculously early. But could DeSantis take him down? Yeah, sure, it's possible. Could DeSantis prove to be a not terribly likable guy, unproven on the national stage, who will get chewed up by Trump just the way he chewed up 16 Republican rivals in 2016? Yeah, that's also possible. So imagine that Trump, you have to say, you have to say, and there are other polls backing this up, that Trump's the front runner for the Republican nomination. May get it, may not get it, but he's the front runner. So let's say he gets it. That's the other part of the Emerson poll. And, you know, I, I caveat this by saying, come on. Uh, it's so far in advance of where any actual people would vote. But there's this Emerson poll showing it's a statistical tie. Uh, Donald Trump with a three-point lead over President Biden. And then I say, well, let's say President Biden's 82 and he's showing his age more. Or, you know, Biden's not the nominee and Trump's running against a much younger person. Um, is it really beyond comprehension that somehow he could win, that he could eke out another electoral college victory? Look, I understand the indictment against Trump. People are exhausted by him. They've been through it. They don't want to return to the chaos. Uh, all of that. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, and I'm not saying it should happen. What I am saying is the media have so often 
either written off Donald Trump or saying, well, you know, this is it for him, that maybe we ought to take a cold-eyed look at it, which I try to do in this column. Thank you for being along for the ride. Hope you'll subscribe to our fast-growing podcast here. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.